Hey y'all, welcome to Life Not Wasted, a podcast hosted by Amanda Hill and Molly Eiler. We're two friends from Texas who got sober in our 20s and are now trying to figure life out in our 30s. So grab your booze-free beverage of choice and join us each week for candid conversations about sobriety, spirituality, and how to live a life not wasted. Hi, this is Molly Eiler, the co-host of Life Not Wasted. This episode about my experience with my eating disorder was a very emotional and vulnerable episode for us to record. I wanted to share with you all after some time sitting with it and listening to it that my experience is just that. It's my experience. It's not everybody's experience. It's not the quote true eating disorder experience. It's just what happened to me and how I went through it. I am also not always getting things right. That's part of our program. You know, our 12-step program says we strive for progress and not perfection. And I'm not always going to get it right. And I'm not always going to say everything right. But I'm trying and my heart is in the right place. So please know that when you listen, if I say something that may not be exactly right or, or perfect, that my heart and my intent is good. And last thing I want to say is that if you or someone you know hears this podcast and hears this episode and recognizes some behavior, some some detail in here that might you might relate to uh, and you think you might need some help, please reach out to me via my personal Instagram. You can DM me at Myler830 or at Life Not Wasted Podcast on Instagram. I'd be more than happy to connect you with resources both nationally and here in the Dallas area that can help you get the help you need. Thanks for listening. We love you always. If you don't mind, um, I would love to chat about something that's specific to your experience. Sure. Um, if you want to be vulnerable with us. Always. Um, Brene taught me well. Yeah. Brene and Glennon uh, taught us well. Um, So we've talked a few times about our own recovery from alcoholism um, and how it relates to recovery from food and um, like unhealthy eating habits and um, like body dysmorphia and a few of those other things. And you've mentioned a few times that you had an actual experience with an eating disorder. Like you sought treatment for that. That was something that you claim as part of your recovery. Yeah. Um, kind of like I have other things that I claim as part of my recovery, that that's something specific um, for you. And um, I don't know of anyone that has had it and feels recovered from it mm-hmm. or, you know, isn't secretly still hiding it or, um, it, you know, it, I don't know many people that have a healthy relationship to that now. And so I would love to pick your brain a little bit. Sure. Uh, And to be clear, like full disclaimer, I don't know that I always have a healthy brain with it. Well, always. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody does, but um, I definitely definitely have a better relationship now than I have before. But yes, I would be happy to share anything with you. Yeah. And it... I think it's Glennon Doyle says something about, um, sharing from your scars and not your open wounds. Mm. And I feel like it, 
it's more of a scar for you than an open wound. Totally. Um, And so that's kind of the differentiator to me. Yep, absolutely. So I would love to hear about kind of the beginnings of that. Yeah. Um, Because I I think I remember you saying you had it pretty young. Um, And kind of like what were some signs that you started noticing and kind of what did that look like? Because I know that um, disordered eating can run a huge range um, and kind of just start like, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you recognize that it can run a range because I think that when people hear eating disorder, they think of either anorexia, starving yourself, um, you know, really restricting and limiting calories um, or binge eating disorder where you binge and purge. Um, and my eating disorder experience really didn't fit into either one of those categories very clearly. So it kind of started with anxiety it for me and in high school, well, my anxiety started very, very young, like fourth ish grade. Um, but my, my eating disorder really picked up in high school. And my, I, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about it and I've done a lot of therapy about it, but I think what really happened for me was that I got overwhelmingly anxious, debilitating anxiety about leaving home for college. And there was no question in my mind that it was the right call, but I think I got anxious about friends and social life and the unknown and moving halfway across the country for school, which I did and knowing no one there. And for me, one of the, my anxiety tells me a lot of lies, but the big lie that my anxiety tells me is that if I eat anything, I will throw up and there's nothing I'm, I do not enjoy more than throwing up. Like I, it's the worst experience for me. It's the worst. And wait, like you're in, like your, your anxious brain is saying like, if you eat, you will throw up. Yes. And I have such a fear of throwing up that my anxious brain is like, don't even try. Don't even try. Oh, wow. And so that was kind of the lie that my anxiety told me. And it wasn't. I was pretty medicated at that point. And so like responsibly medicated, but on a much higher dose than I uh, am currently, but um, it, it talked pretty loudly to me, Yeah, but, but I didn't really hear it um, because of this medication was numbing that out a little bit. Mm. So I think it was between my junior and senior years of high school. That's really when things hit. And it, the, the key indicator for me was just my weight went down. I did not, it was not a conscious, like, I'm going to restrict my calories. I'm only going to have 750 calories a day. It was not a, I'm going to exercise, you know, six days a week for an hour and a half a day. It was none of those. It was not even, I'm going to eat, but then I'm going to throw up. Cause remember I'm terrified of throwing up. So that was never a question, but it was just this debilitating anxiety that told me not to eat. 
and it was a it was a true fear of food and between and i i am so open i will tell you all the numbers i will tell you all the things but it went from um i'm five four and in my junior year of high school you can see it like on my medical like shot records at my from my pediatrician in um when i was like 16 i was around like 120 125 ish and when i was 17 i was 102 and um that is i'm like i'll be honest that is not the lowest that i got but that was like a trigger point where people started to pay attention and to notice things and wow. yeah it was and, and i tell you this amanda it was not a, I did not have a goal in mind. I don't even think I really weighed myself very often to pay attention to it. Like I'm pretty sure I had a scale in the bathroom, but I, it wasn't like I was compulsively weighing myself, but it was just a true effect of my anxiety and the, and the fear I had of food. And it was right around graduation, second semester of my senior year. I was 17 and um, my doctor and my, I don't exactly remember how all this happened because I wasn't really involved with the decision, but I started seeing a doctor and a psychiatrist, a, a doctor that really specialized in eating disorders and a psychiatrist and um, nutritionist at the hospital in my hometown. And they enrolled me in a IOP program. So if you're not familiar with IOP, it stands for intensive outpatient program. And the way this one worked is I would go one day a week for um, weight checks and to meet with my nutritionist and we would, um, or a dietitian, and we would plan all of my meals that I would have that week. And we would have like target goals of like you need three it, each food had a value and i needed on my tray or my plate i needed like three fruits four vegetables like two dairy 10 fats or whatever and i could like pick and choose foods that i liked that would fit into you know those numbers that i needed to hit and so that was one day a week and I would go get like vitals taken and things like that. And then three nights a week, I would go up to the hospital and I would sit in a room with like six girls. And the first hour would be um, like a, th a group therapy session. And then we would go eat together. And we ate, had to like eat our dinner that was hospital food that was like all these things that I planned out. And then we would have like a process group after that's like, how did it feel to eat in front of people? When I tell you, Amanda, that it was the most problematic environment I've ever been in, it's the understatement of the year. I'm speechless. It was so awful. It was so awful. Um, it was, it was just really terrible. Was that, did that make it? so much worse yeah and here's why um i had no education about what was happening with me and nobody asked what was happening with me they just saw the numbers on the scale and they just kept going down like 
it was eventually it was like 92 91 and like they kept seeing the numbers on the scale go down and they were like we have to do something and you know i i truly empathize with my parents i do not know what i would have done in that situation because you're about to send your kid halfway across the country to college and they have lost 30 pounds in four months like what do you do and i i don't i i don't know i don't know what i would do you have to do something right you have to feel like you're doing something proactive um but that was not the right fit for me and it's actually kind of funny how i um I feel like I may have intentionally like gotten myself kicked out or I was asked, I was asked <laughs> to leave. <laughs> I was asked to leave, but I, um, had really bad TMJ, like really bad TMJ. I had been going to physical therapy or your before. your jaw locks? Yeah. My jaw was locked because when I got my wisdom, this is a whole thing. I'm not this high maintenance, but it sounds high maintenance. But when they, they, uh, had taken out my wisdom teeth. They never like put my jaw back right. So after my wisdom teeth surgery, I like could not open my mouth. I had to go to, um, I had to go to physical therapy and I finally like got my jaw to where it could function again, but it was still pretty, it was like, like that was, you can't see this if you're listening to the podcast, but (laughs) I couldn't open my mouth like all the way. And on one of my meal selections, I had asked for apple slices, but the hospital on that night had given me a whole apple and I could not open my mouth enough to bite down on a whole apple and to eat the apple. And the people who were running the IOP said that I was refusing to eat and that I was like being insubordinate or whatever. And so, uh, and that was, I think that was in the summer before I left for college. But at that point, I had, I mean, I remember high school graduation, high school graduation, I was probably, it was like the worst I had been because I was still not really eating. I still did not really want to eat. I was very withdrawn from all of my friends. I was really fine with leaving at that point. I was desperate to go. But I had gotten the stomach virus and I had gotten down to, I had lost like five pounds just with the stomach virus. I was like 87 pounds when I graduated high school and they, it was very like touch and go. And the the counselors finally said, you know, you cannot leave the state of New Jersey where I grew up until you reach hundred pounds. And that IOP was really holding me back. It was not helping. And I said, I would rather just do this on my own. And so I did. And um, I left the IOP and I did a lot of counseling and I I still worked with my dietitian and my doctor, um, but I just did not participate in the IOP anymore. I was not 100 pounds when I went to college, but they let me go anyway because I found dietitians and I found a dietitian there and a counselor there. And I went to the health center every week for weigh ins. And 
um, I really learned because I, I, you know, I came back from college after six weeks or so thriving. And I realized that my fear of food was fear of everything. But I still saw food as the enemy. Like, I still saw food as like, this is, this is what caused all this. Like, this is what causes my anxiety. And that anxiety is the worst feeling ever. But my relationship with food was like, you did this, you know? I'm, I'm like in shock right now. Um, I wish I had more coherent questions to ask you, but one, I'm so sorry that that happened. I cannot fathom being in that outpatient program and like having to eat. I just like imagine girls sitting around a table, like silently (laughs) just eating and like staring at each other. It was terrible too, because we, um, there were only like certain places that we had access to. And one of them was like this kid's room. And it was like the, where all the kids who are in like long-term care at the hospital, like they're there for cancer treatment or whatever. And that like, it was their playroom. And so we had, we sat at these like tiny tables in these tiny chairs with our like knees up here and our, our chins eating off of our like hospital food trays. And like, I'm sorry, I don't want to eat hospital food anytime. Especially when I like hate food. Like that's, that's not what's going to be like, yeah, let me eat that. Um, yeah, it, it, I feel like I, a lot of now that I'm a mental health professional or almost I see so many problematic things with that. And I even recognize a lot of the problematic things at the time, but now I recognize so much more. Like the worst was, I get this question. I understand conceptually why they asked this question, but after every, before, during, and after every meal, they would make us do like a scale of one to 10. How triggered are we? And like, I don't know. I feel like everyone's just lying. It was just so, I I don't know. It was so stupid. And I just didn't, it it was not the right fit for me. Yeah, obviously I can't imagine that. I'm I'm sure it's helpful to someone somewhere, but that that, like you, that would not be helpful for me. Um, Okay. So you, you did that. You got yourself kicked out, you little badass. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you had this flourishing in college. So how, like, what were the first steps that you took towards a recovering, um, attitude towards food? Like, was it realizing that you actually weren't throwing up when you were eating or like, how did you start to make that change? Because like, you know, you and I are both you know, sober from alcohol. And like, if, when someone says, oh, I'm, I'm getting sober on my own. My initial thought is like, bummer, you miss out on an amazing community of people. Yeah. Like bummer that you have to do it alone. But here you're telling me that like, it was actually one of the best things for you. And so I'm just so curious about like what that change, what those steps were that you started seeing change from. Yeah. 
when you went to college? That's a really good question. And I think one of the biggest game-changing points for me was self-education about my disease. Like I was one of the people that thought an eating disorder meant anorexia or bulimia or like, uh, and, and I didn't fit into either one of those categories. And so I think that's why I had such a hard time in that program because I didn't fit into one, into that IOP because I didn't fit into one of those two boxes. But when I started to really understand the root of my disordered eating and my body image issues, because I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I loved the way that I looked when I was that small. Like, and there's still times, I'll be really, really honest with you right now. There's still times when I look back at those pictures and I don't. I can't say that. I looked scary. I looked scary at like that those I'm thinking of like specific pictures, like my high school graduation pictures. I looked pretty scary. Um, Pictures from like rush recruitment, uh, like that first week, I looked pretty scary. But I look at pictures from like three months after that when I'm coming out of it. Yeah, I have a lot more color in my face and I probably have like 10 pounds more on me. But that, I was like, that looked good. Yeah. And that scares me that I still think like that sometimes, you know? Um, But educating myself about what my triggers were, what my specific causes were, really getting into like the individual counseling with my, with counselors that were good um, really helped. And my psychiatrist, you know, the same one who... Um, in my open plan office told me that she wouldn't prescribe me any more medicine until I quit drinking when I was 28 (laughs) is the one who I would talk to every week on the phone at or every month on the phone at college, you know, when I was 17, when I tell you, she knew my whole story. She knew my whole ride or die therapist. Yeah. And, um, I think just having those people that knew I will get through this. Supportive parents really were essential into my recovery. And then I think rebuilding a relationship with food in a community of people that were brand new and didn't know my history. Yeah. I think so much for people with any sort of addiction, um, eating disorders, gambling addiction, alcohol, drug abuse, at some point, It's nice to be, to know that people are sort of watching you, but I felt like I was being watched all the time. Yeah. And became like counter-constructive. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, lay off. Yeah. You're making my, you're making my anxiety even worse because I know you're watching me and I know you're disappointed in me that I'm not doing this and I can't help it. And so I think that that really helped when I went to college and people didn't know. And um, it was like normal to order. They call them Gumby sticks. I think it's now pokey sticks, whatever. It like these cheesy breadsticks at like midnight on a Tuesday. Like that was normal. And I feel mm-hmm. like all these more normal habits were accessible to me because I didn't have this history. So 
I'm trying to like field the questions that are coming up in my own head. And one of them just occurred to me that I think is kind of interesting. I'd love your perspective on. Yeah. So you've said previously that you didn't really drink until college. Mm -hmm. And you've also said, I mean, obviously alcohol was like your band-aid solution for your anxiety, but obviously eating was related to that too. Yeah. Do you think that your drinking actually helped your eating situation if it if it helped your anxiety or is that like correlations not causation kind of thing that's a really um interesting thought that i've never really put together um i don't know i think the thing about my drinking was that I <laughs> alcohol made me think I always look good <laughs> and I did not always look good. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, I think that's been a problem in sobriety is I'm just like way more aware of like how I look. And I, it, it also gave me an excuse. Like when you're drinking, of course, you're going to like drive through Taco Bell at 2 AM or whatever, right? Or, you know, or order the pizza. And when you're drinking, of course, you're going to be too hungover to work out on a Saturday morning and, you know, like want to stay in bed all day. And I, I still want to do those things. I still want to drive through Taco Bell at two in the morning. Yeah. If I'm ever awake at two in the morning again, yeah. I want to be at Taco Bell and I still don't want to work out on a Saturday morning. And I still want to spend all day in my pajamas on a Saturday, most Saturdays. But I just don't have an excuse for that anymore. But so how do you move through it to action? Like, how do you like today? How do you because I have those feelings and those thoughts. And right now in this current moment, I'm not tempted to work out. So like, how do you how do you actually move through to action from those those thoughts? Accountability. Um, really? Yeah. And I think for me, realizing that I feel better, I truly do feel better. When I work out, when I don't sit on the couch all day, but sometimes I need to, it's it's really like, I think it's a connection to your body and an awareness of your needs that I didn't ever have before. And I know now that like, I, every once in a while need like 24 hours where I don't do anything. Yeah. Like I, or, or I have no real responsibilities. Right. I can do things, but I don't have responsibilities. And I need like every couple of weeks, I need to sleep for 12 hours. And yeah. it, but also it's that awareness that like, when I take my vitamins, I feel better. And when I go for a walk or work out for 30 minutes, I feel better. And when I cook food at home and that's healthy versus going to Chick-fil-A, I feel better. It's like that connection to yourself and that awareness that I, I think when I was active in like my anxious eating disorder days, I wasn't old enough or mature enough to have. And then when I was drinking, I was drunk and didn't have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm kind of blown away about the IOP program and going to college in that circumstance and then 
like how surprising it is knowing you now, like you and I eat biscuits and gravy and you went, you did soul cycle for your one year. And like, there are things that, that you do that are just, you feel so balanced to me, um, now. And thank you. That's a huge compliment because I feel very unbalanced a lot of times. You're welcome. Well, I mean, balance for us is usually like ping-ponging between the sides and not, you know, a stable middle ground, but true. Um you you feel very balanced to me as your friend. Thanks. Um in this realm. And although I don't have, I mean, my my experience with eating and not eating is very limited to like one short period of time where I was kind of in triage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the idea of going through that at such a young age and coming out from whatever reason, like the, the IOP program or your nutritionist or your psychiatrist or medication or whatever you ended up doing, mm-hmm. um, the, the fact that you've come out of it sane or close to sane as close as we get to sane um is kind of remarkable to me because I I know it I I know especially in today's day and age like when self-image is so hard to be accurate about yeah like it it's so hard to not have some kind of body dysmorphia or um unhealthy relationship to food especially in recovery. Like for me, at least like you'd think that a healthy drinking attitude would also lead to healthy food attitude. And sometimes they're related, but a lot of times I think, well, I can't drink, so I'm going to eat this cheeseburger. Right. You know, and to have some sort of balance, um, I think is remarkable, Molly. Thanks. Thanks. Um, you know, I thought, thought of something else that kind of ties to one of your questions that you asked earlier, and it's it's really related to kind of the importance of, a, of who your people are. Yeah. And um, I remember in high school sitting down to tell my friends, I didn't, I don't think I told them I was in the IOP. I think I told them that I was like busy doing stuff, which was very much like me. Like I was always babysitting or tutoring or working or whatever in high school, volunteering or church stuff. So I don't think I told them what it was, but I remember sitting down at this restaurant at my friend's beach house, like in her town and telling my three closest friends that I had an eating disorder. And whether this was there, I I am fully aware that people remember things differently. This is my perception. But my perception at the time was almost like a challenge, like a prove it. Because all my friends were skinny. And so it was it was almost like a well, prove it then. Mm -hmm. And. When I when I got out of the environment where I felt like I needed to prove that I was sick, mm. it was so much easier 
to just be who I was. And the anxiety just kind of melted away. And, um, you know, I've been, it's just a, um, it's a weird thing to be friends with the same people through middle, fifth grade, middle school, high school. Like that's a long, eight years is a long time. And I think I could sense that it was time to move on. And it was. It's it's just a, um, I don't know how to say this, but it's, it's almost like my, it, I feel like it's my, my body knew things that I, I wasn't like aware of, you know? I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. And little Molly was just kind of suffocating. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, it's wild. I see certain pictures and I'm like, who is that person? I looked like an alien. Like I already kind of have bug eyes, but I looked like <laughs> a true alien because my like cheeks were, cheeks were so shrunken. And, you know, I think that there it's, you know, there's certain things that when we get sober, we keep as kind of like memory type things yeah. or like maybe they're not physical objects, but we keep memories of our past. And I kept my high school graduation dress, which was a size zero that I had to get taken in. <gasps> I had to get altered and taken in because it was too big. And, and like before I had been like a size six and I keep it. It's in my closet and I will not get rid of it because sometimes I pull it out and I look at just like how narrow the rib cage is of that dress. And it's, I mean, I wish it still fit. It's a beautiful so cute lily pulitzer dress with like applique white bows or flowers real cute but it's such a reminder of like what was i'm so glad that i had supportive parents and family members and friends when i got to college who didn't care and didn't ask questions and who weren't like, you've gained 10 pounds. Like, thank you. Yeah. I needed to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it was just, it was just such a journey. And I like what you said earlier about it being scars and not open wounds. And it's a scar. I don't, it's like a scar that's hidden kind of on my back. Like I don't think about it every day, which is weird because I eat every day. Yeah. multiple times a day but there are times where it comes back up and creeps back in like at the beginning of the pandemic I lost like 10 pounds because I was so anxious and my anxiety I was not on anxiety medication at the time and my anxiety screamed at me the same thing don't eat don't eat and I remember saying, texting my mom and being like mom I ate a cheese stick today like that was a victory, like a mm. 50 calorie cheese stick. It was like, mom, I, I ate the whole thing today in one sitting and an applesauce pouch. Like that was this, that was 2020. Yeah. That was like less than a year ago. So what do you do when those kinds of thoughts crop up or you find yourself in that situation? 
you know, it's such a miracle that I now know because of my experiences with that eating disorder and because of my experiences with alcoholism, I know exactly who to call and how to ask myself, how to ask for help for myself. And I called my therapist and I said, I know I haven't seen you in a long time. I hope you're doing telehealth. When can I get on your schedule? And I called my doctor and said, I haven't been on medication in a long time, but I think it's time to get back on. And within two weeks, I bounced back. And I'm really not shy, and I know you aren't really either, about our affinity for prescription anti-anxiety and anti-depression medication because that's what makes me there are chemical imbalances in my brain that were hardwired there since I was a young child. Yeah. And if taking one little pill before I go to bed at night means that I can have better relationships, better friendships, be a better coworker, be a better sister, daughter, aunt, all the things. You know? That's worth it. It's worth it. It's not worth it to always walk on eggshells and think, when is this beast going to crop back up? This anxiety beast, when is it going to tear down the door? I don't want to live like that. So, you know, I I think that that first experience I had in high school, I'm so grateful it wasn't worse because I had so many friends that had to be hospitalized for eating disorders or, you know, were had done really irreparable physical damage to organs and their hearts. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that that wasn't my story. I'm really grateful that I was able to uh, get the help that I needed at the, the, eventually, you know? Yeah. And as a, as a counselor and as a person who works with teenagers, I'm so glad I had that experience in the chair in an IOP room because now if I ever have a client or a kid come into my office and, you know, they're dealing with that, I, I know what that's like. And I know how hard it is to talk about. And I know that the right answer is not like, well, just eat more because you can't, <laughs> That's not what works. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. And um, like I said, it's, it's not one of those things that never will affect me again. But because we all have body image issues, right? Like no one's immune from that. But I'm really grateful that I've had those experiences. So I know what it looks like when I'm getting kind of twisted. Yeah. So if someone like, let's say one of your kids comes in to kind of wrap this up. Um, if one of your kids comes in and says that, you know, they're, they're struggling with the same thing, like, what do you recommend them as a first step? Honestly, um, I would probably not be the person to help them. 
Um, but I have a great network of counselors in the community that are specifically trained in eating disorder treatment. And that's, I think, the biggest problem is not every counselor is qualified and capable of treating eating disorders. Mm. It's one of the hardest addictions to treat because, I mean, we can, it's, it's pretty normal for people to abstain for the rest of their lives from crack or meth or heroin or even cigarettes or alcohol. But eating is something that we all need to do. And so figuring out that sort of treatment plan is one of the most challenging. And I'll be quite honest with you. It's one that I haven't been trained in as thoroughly as I would need to. Would I help that student by, you know, talking to them about what they're going through and just being a good listener? Absolutely. And then I would say, I think it sounds like you might need more specific help than I can give you. And send them to trained professionals in eating disorder treatment. It's a good note. It's a good takeaway. Um, because I think, you know, when you're when you're new to something or ignorant to something, like you just assume that anyone that like any counselor can help with that yeah. or, you know, the idea of searching out someone who is specifically certified for that yeah. um, is a really good takeaway for anyone that's struggling with that because yeah. um, it's so easy to get bad advice. Totally. Yeah. It's so easy to get well, it, to get well-intentioned bad advice. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, Molly, thank you so much for sharing that. I know that that's not like a pretty fun thing to discuss, but, you know, I think that both of our experiences with our respective addictions and struggles being a little bit outside the norm can actually be really helpful for someone who thinks, oh, that's not me. I don't have an eating disorder because I don't do blank. Yeah. It's like, no, it can, it can look like whatever it needs to look like to be a dysfunction for you yeah um and impact your life negatively so thank you for sharing that and i'm so proud of you and how far you've come Thanks. i want to give little 17 year old molly a hug and a cheeseburger oh and, same um molly thank you again for being such an open book and such a great friend i'm so lucky to know you and so glad that you're like healthy ish and happy ish. And, you know, as close as we, we get to all those things. No, I can't wait to put you in the hot seat and ask you about, um, your codependency has been on my mind. So I can't wait to ask you all the questions. <laughs> You're going to return the, uh, return the favor, return the jab. Sure. am. <laughs> okay. Well, I love you and we'll talk soon. Love you. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Life Not Wasted podcast, click the share button and send this episode to a friend that would enjoy it. Word of mouth is the best way to help us reach new people who may need a little encouragement on their journey. Thanks again for listening, subscribing, and sharing the Life Not Wasted podcast with your people. Talk to you next time.